Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. With me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. And as this programme is airing, the Queen is making her speech um, to the House. Um, not my house. Not your house, no, no, to the a house. house. To a house. Um, and it's expected that there will be some announcements around um, business rates, uh, the NHS, the immigration reform uh, and legislation to ensure a minimum level of service during train strikes. That coupled with the idea that there will be full fibre and gigabit broadband coverage across the whole of the UK by 2025 should at least fill some of us with a little bit of hope for the, f- the coming years. Hope, but, yes. but we, given that it's almost Christmas, and we, much as we'd like to deny it, Tracy, we can't, can we? Yeah, we're not feeling Christmassy just yet, so um, we're hoping that by the end of the show we're full of the Christmas spirit. Yes, yes. Not literally the Christmas Not literally, spirit. although that might be a good thing. <laughs> but what we thought we'd do um, this week for our topical discussion is we'd take a look at Christmas brands... Yes, I've enjoyed researching this just by asking people what they think of our Christmas brands and just having loads of people shouting random things at me like after eights. Yeah, well, Party Street. Exactly. Well, I I started doing some research and then I thought, well, this is these are brands of my time. So actually I was here at, at Calon. So Advocar then. Advocar. Yeah, it's <laughs> eggnog and all of that snowballs. So I went and spoke to some younger people. <laughs> and I said, "Okay, what are the brands that you think about at Christmas?" And so we went down this whole, you know, like the famous toy, you know, there's yeah. a toy every year. Um they mentioned the Tamagotchi. Oh, right. Um yeah. Tracy Island. Wow, Tracy Island. Yes. Yeah. You know these these big Not that much younger, Heather. No, they were no, they were a bit younger. Yeah, okay. yeah, they were a bit younger. They were a bit younger. I did have a Tamagotchi. I didn't have a, a Tracy Island. No. But I suppose these are these are brand the, the Christmas brands are the things that just keep coming back year on year, like yeah. Coca Cola, etc. Uh, what's what Christmas brands have you looked at, Trace? Well, I, I found an article um, which I, I thought was quite interesting um, on Statistica. Statista.com. I've put too many letters Statista, in there. Okay. Which of these brands, if any, do you associate with Christmas? Oh, so, nice. Sort of perfect. Dream. Playing right into our hands. Um, and Coca-Cola yep. was up there on the top. Marks and Spencer's, John Lewis, Argos, Ferrero Rocher, Bailey's, Tesco, Boots, Sainsbury's and Iceland. Now, the, the article sort of went on to say that this is based on advertising, yeah. really on the advertising that they've done. And that, that is the thing, isn't it? These brands have become, the ones that I've just mentioned, have become Christmas brands because they've placed themselves as Christmassy brands with their yep. festive adverts. And you can't get away from them at the moment, can you? No, and the Christmas advert is big miss. We've talked about yeah. it before, that you know that in itself is the start of Christmas for a lot of people. Absolutely. And so that's what, what people were mentioning. But like like you, you know, people were saying things that they remembered from their from their past so I think there was a sherry advert Ember Cream was that the Hinge and Bracket oh my gosh yes Hinge and Bracket yes (laughs) Baby Sham and and all of those sorts of things Um, but yeah largely it's based on the advertising that's done so um, I I also found another really interesting article um, which was the, the best ad so far for Christmas 2019 the list was huge Okay, I, I only got a very small snippet, but it, it's it was on a, 
an article for advertising professionals. So the website is called campaignlive.co.uk. And not only do they have um, the advert on that website, they also have a, an explanation of the thinking behind it and the company that made it. So the one that stands out for me, because it relates to get another plug in for it my Christmas Eve show at 5 o'clock um, which has got Christmas brass band music the co-op Not So Silent Night okay. and it features the BTM brass bands as being one of the organisations that the, the co-op's um, charitable arm um, funds and they play in Fairy Tale of New York Ah, okay. So that resonates with you because of the brass. Yeah, I, I really noticed. And I tried to get hold of a copy of it, but um, I, I couldn't find one. So that isn't featuring in my uh, Christmas Eve show at five o'clock. Well, who, what's the BTM brass band? Uh, it's quite quite a, what does um, BTM an established... Stand for, do we know? I, I don't know. No, okay. It's a lot, just a lot of the brass bands used to be sponsored by um, the, the works, the companies that they... Um, that they they took their players from right. You know, so a lot of like the Brig House and Rastrick brass band. It's it's based on a, a district. It might be the Grimethorpe Colliery band. Yeah, okay. But actually, a lot of them, obviously, there's not so many mines around anymore, um, and they get sponsors from elsewhere. Right. So they can change their names quite a bit, but sometimes they do come back to the original one. So I do apologise. I don't know what BTM oh, right, stands okay. for. Okay. Um, they mentioned a couple of others that I'd seen. Um, the home base advert. I, now, this one sticks in my mind because Yolo, my 10-year-old son, was absolutely flabbergasted by this. And it's a, it's a lovely domestic scene of a woman and her child decorating a, a Christmas tree. And the child places on a decoration that it's clearly made itself, maybe at school or playgroup or something like that, um, and putting it on the tree. And the mother's look of horror at this decoration amongst all of the other beautiful ones. And when the child leaves the room, the mother turns the Christmas tree round. Oh. And Yolo, Yolo was absolutely appalled by it. Well, I, I mean, it, I haven't got children, but I, I have heard that it's the sort of thing where you let the four-year-old pile all the decorations on and then when they go to bed, you go and put it back on symmetrically and, <laughs> and hide that gaudy, freaky Santa or whatever it might well, be. Well, um, he, he did say to me, you don't do that with ours, do you, Mum? And I honestly said no, but because our Christmas tree is so full of their decorations that if I turn it round, it would make no yeah. difference. <laughs> I let go of any pretension of the type of baubles I had on my Christmas tree when I had the kids. Yeah, and I yeah. think that's yeah. yeah, I think that's par for the course. So, what about you? Anything that's not an advert that's related to Christmas for you? Well, what I thought I would do, I was I was interested to know when these things came into to be part of Christmas. So I went back and had a look at Quality Street, for example. Yeah. You know, most households will have a tin of Quality Street or a plastic tub of Quality Street, as it now is, or roses or whatever. So I thought I'd have a look and see how long Quality Street has been a chocolate. Oh, excellent. And, um, and it was first invented in 1936. It was um, named by John McIntosh from the um, Roundtree McIntosh yeah. family. Um, and he decided that because boxed chocolates were the preserves of, of the wealthy, he wanted to find a way of making cheaper products um, that would be affordable for you know, the working classes. 
and then by wrapping them instead of wrapping them ind individually in a box putting them in this in the in the their papers in individual paper that made them last longer um and so it was invented in 1936 um and the name do you know where the name comes from no apparently there is a play by jm barry called quality street and it is named after that. that nor did i so so I, I looked up that, and then I wanted, and I knew a little bit about this one, the good old Christmas cracker. Did, oh. did you know that in America they don't have Christmas crackers? No, it's not a thing. But I mean, they, they probably do know, but they didn't. You know, now they. Um, but the Christmas cracker started by a guy called Tom Smith. Now, if you go to, you know, if you go to the like a mass Christmas meal in a hotel and there are crackers on the table very often they are tom smith crackers oh. um and they um so yeah so they they set it up uh and, and we take we take christmas crackers as you know it's just a given i know something about this heather go I on know something about crackers go weren't on. they originally called bangs of expectation Oh, well, it doesn't yeah. say... Well, I found that, that on a BBC article. Oh. Uh, apparently, um, when they were first made, they were called Bangs of Expectation. Oh, right. OK, I didn't know that. They were apparently um, invented in, 19, in 1847 by Tom Smith. And um, he, he used to make sweets that he sold in twists of paper. And he decided to just push that on a little bit and then started putting in little love messages um, and then of course in time we got to the, the the cracker crackle the fire bit the snap yeah and I, I I do worry about Christmas crackers now because we pulled a few Christmas crackers last night didn't we we did at, at yeah our... and I had a rubbish hat I ended up with the worst hat I don't know how <laughs> so at the business community Christmas meal it was very nice it was nice <laughs> yes yeah um, we, we pulled some crackers and the little bits of useless plastic inside them, I, I think that society's not so happy with those anymore. No. And I'm hoping we do go back to something a little more homespun, a little bit, you know, more little sweeties with love notes in maybe. Yeah. So the bangs of expectation um, came about apparently because he was inspired to add an explosive element. <laughs> <laughs> to liven the family up. Um, and uh, he was inspired by the sight of a log crackling on the fire. So, and also inspired by magic tricks he'd witnessed whilst working at the musicals. But there is something we said about this last night, the smell of a newly snapped Christmas mm. cracker. It's, it's, it, I think it's just... I don't know, it just take, well, it takes you back, doesn't it? Yes. it? Yeah, yeah. But I don't need the plastic spinning top or the moustache or whatever, or the ring. And another thing that's coming under fire for... Um, for sustainability is Christmas cards, isn't it? Yeah. Now, I found out something new this year that about Victorian Christmas cards. So we, we obviously have explosive elements in the bangs of expectation. We also had Christmas cards with things like dead robins on or um, children riding flying bats or a man being attacked by a bear or a mouse riding a lobster. I don't know what they were smoking. They're not your typical Christmas. <laughs> no, that images. I mean, and that that was the sort of um, festive illustration that was favoured by the Victorians. Um, so uh, quite weird. And I, I'm staring at a picture of one now. Let me just share that with you. This is the picture of a dead robin, and the the sentence underneath said, "May yours be a joyful Christmas." 
Oh, it, it, that it, is a dead robin. It yes. looks just to me lying more on his like back. a threat than a Christmas yes. greeting. Yes, it's not the sort May of thing. yours be a joyful Christmas as this dead robin. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's really bizarre, isn't it? And I know a lot of people now are, are using e-cards or, or are looking for more sustainable ways to send cards. And I think, I think we're going to see some of the Christmas offerings change a little bit. As, as we look at single-use plastics, obviously, with the crackers and recyclability with cards and wrapping paper. Mm. So I, I think that, uh, yeah, in another few years, um, I, I won't even be able to mention snowballs and Advocar because people will look at me like I'm like a dinosaur if they don't already. <laughs> um, anything um, about Coca-Cola then? So there's this big myth, isn't there? Um, that Coca-Cola are the one that turned Father Christmas red. And I'm not sure whether it was true or not, but according to this article, Father Christmas had been red before Coca-Cola, but Coca-Cola really latched onto it. Um, But it does say that it isn't sure where the image originally came from, but it has been seen in green and purple and gold and brown. Father Christmas in brown? I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> no, that's not that's not right, is it? I th- yeah, I thought that they had um, they had done that, um, that they'd made that change. I I was also looking at Christmas is often a time for board games, isn't it? And you think yeah. of you know Spears games who made Scrabble and still do make Scrabble, um, and um, Waddington's you know Monopoly, um, and and I I I looked up. Um, Waddingtons to see what games that they had made and they they made things like um you know the little formula one game i don't know if you remember that i think my brother's had it you know it's a little um well it was just like a circuit really (laughs) it's not very we were easily impressed um yeah just and there seems to be um, new games that come out every year and it's almost as if there needs to be a new game every year so what's the thing Yeah. yeah flying burrito what's that I, I really don't know. Apparently, I'm going to find out. A friend messaged me and says, can I, can I buy this Christmas present for your kids? Um, do you mind burritos flying around? I don't, do you mean real burritos? They're apparently like beanbag burritos. Because there's the Flying Burrito Brothers, isn't there? I really don't know. I, I will let you know if, if our telly gets broken and a few glasses in the process. Well... I shall be intrigued, but one game that was mentioned on this on this list, apart from like Cluedo, that was um, oh, of course, invented yeah. in 1949. I think we've all played Cluedo, Buccaneer. Buccaneer. Do you remember that? It's like a bucking bronco. Oh, that's thing. Buckaroo. Oh, I thought it was Buccaneer. No, oh no, Buckaroo. You're yeah. right. Oh yeah. Well, maybe it doesn't. Well, oh right. Okay. So <laughs> I I went off on a whole memory lane thing there with that when you hang the stuff on the back end of that. Yeah, donkey that was and Buckaroo. then it, yeah. oh a mouse trap what about mouse trap these are all games that we used to spend hours playing but monopoly i think monopoly trivial pursuits and cards against humanity these are <laughs> for, yeah for the adults be careful don't get that out when grandma's coming round unless you know grandma really really well um, <laughs> wait till the kids have gone but it's to bed. yeah it, it, it's they're just brands that you know when do we play board games Christmas is about the only time we all get together and think, crikey, what we're we going to do now? We're stuck in a room together. <laughs> do we talk or do we play games? Yeah, yeah let's play let's games. Let's play games. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't hide it. <laughs> I'm not going to lose control. Though. Um, we're going to play a quiz. It's the Guardian Business Christmas Quiz 2019. 
and you can find it on the Guardian website, as I have done. And it's here in front of me and we can answer it. We can get the questions and the answers now live on air. Oh, gosh. Okay. So, Heather, who described their business relationship as a corporate Romeo and Juliet? Was it Mike Ashley talking about his uh, Sports Direct's new auditors, the chief exec of the Hong Kong Stock Exchange on his bid for the London Stock Exchange, or Elon Musk waxing lyrical about his love for Twitter. So we're talking about a corporate Romeo and Juliet. Oh, my goodness. Um, I'm going to go for Mike Ashley. Mike Ashley. What do you think? Don't make these all mine. This is this has. No, no, I, I would have gone for um, Elon Musk. Oh, would probably, you? But it wasn't either of those. It was the chief exec of the Hong Kong Stock Exchange on his bid for the London Stock Exchange. Oh, OK. All right. Love affair of two stock exchanges. Wow, okay. I don't think there's a play coming from that one, is there? No. Okay, question number two. What were WeWork's co-founder Adam Newman's previous business ventures? Was it selling collapsible mops, mops and buckets to offices? Selling skateboards and potted plants to startups? Selling women's shoes with collapsible high heels and baby romper suits with reinforced knees? So WeWork's co-founder Adam Newman... Collapsible mops and buckets, skateboards and potted plants, women's shoes and baby romper suits. I'm going to go for the collapsible heel shoes. OK, I was going to go for mops and buckets. Okay. Let's go with collapsible heels. You were right. Oh! OK, what music format made a comeback this year? Mini disc, cassette or vinyl 78s? Well, I wasn't going to say vinyl because my kids are all over vinyl at the yeah. moment, but not 78s. No, mm. it's not mini disc, I don't think. What was the other one? Cassette. Shouldn't really make a comeback. I think, no. Let's go with vinyl. It was the cassette. You're kidding me. Wow. Okay. Yeah, Yolo had cassettes a couple of years ago. <laughs> and he was getting so frustrated with not being able to jump to where he wanted to yeah, jump. Yeah, fast then, forwarding and, and rewinding. Then, and then the tape coming loose. I'm like, yeah, welcome to my world. Yeah, and the pencil to tighten it up yeah. again and all of that <laughs> nonsense. Okay, Ryanair's chief executive, Michael O'Leary, is known for cutting costs at the airline. But what scraps can the Irish Scrooge, that's hard to say, Irish Scrooge, mm -hmm. expect for his own potential bonus? Is it 99 pence? 99.99 euros, sorry, not pence. Okay. 999,000 euros or 99 million euros? So what do you reckon Michael O'Leary's getting? 99 million. You are indeed right. 99 million euro bonus. Well, yeah. Let's I was I was read an article in, in the local press today about how JCB are paying their staff a £500 Christmas bonus this year. Sort of puts that one into a tin hat, doesn't it? Well, and what about Denise Coates, who we've talked about in the past? Yeah, highest paid again. Yeah, I uh, can't remember what she was, 236 million or something, was it? Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, unimaginable. Yeah. OK, Thomas Cook Group collapsed in September, leaving 150,000 holidaymakers stranded. When did Thomas Cook, the founder of the tour operator, organise his first excursion? 1841, 1881 or 1919? 1841. I was thinking 1841. You, you and I are both right. Lovely. And I hope the dear listeners also. I hope you're keeping a, a few of these yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, an Australian cricket writer was left reeling after a Manchester hotel bar accidentally served him. What might be the most expensive beer
for this for a beer, five thousand pounds, fifteen thousand pounds, or fifty-five thousand pounds. Oh my goodness! What did they press the? I really don't on? know. Let Let's have a look. Fifty-five thousand. Okay. Yes. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> Which member of a pop group demanded answers from Tesco after her image was used, apparently without her prior knowledge, on a bus stop advert for its club card? Was it Kerry Katona of Atomic Kitten, Nadine Coyle of Girls Aloud, or Mel B of the Spice Girls? I really don't know that answer. I'm going to guess at Nadine Coyle. Yeah, I would say that. No, Mel B of Spice Girls. Oh, oh. Okay, what proportion of UK adults have, according to official data, gone cashless as contactless and mobile payments explode in popularity? What percentage? Well, uh, what proportion? Oh, okay. One in five, one in ten or one in twenty? Completely cashless. I think one in five. Oh, one in five. Okay. Let's see. One in ten, Heather. Mm. Oh, you're winning this one, hands down. With more than 8 million members, Nest, set up by the government as part of automatic enrolment, who knew automatic enrolment can make a quiz question, is Britain's pe- biggest pension scheme. What are the top two shareholdings in the Nest fund? Oh, hell. Okay. okay. Facebook and Amazon, HSBC and ExxonMobil, Microsoft and Apple. Microsoft and Apple. I'm going to go for HSBC and ExxonMobil. You're right again, Heather. Really? Oh. God, I'm never any good at quizzes. This is amazing. <laughs> a new Bank of England £20 note was issued in October. Who was on the back? Alan Turing, JMW Turner, Jane Austen. Alan Turing, wasn't it? It wasn't. It was JMW Turner. You oh, were so it? confident about that oh. one. Okay, listeners, how are you doing? Do let us know if you're beating <laughs> us hands down. <laughs> Um, Marks and Spencers was ordered in August to change the name of its porn star martini drink because it breached an industry code, presumably the porn bit, not the star and martini bit. What was the new name? Passion fruit martini, passion star martini or passionate martini? Oh, my goodness. I haven't got a clue. I'm going to go passion star martini. Yeah. And I'm right. Yay! Yay! Get one right. Okay, the first fake meat burger that went on sale at the JD Weatherspoon pub chain this year is made of what? Pulverised jackfruit blended with beetroot powder, corn flavoured with herbs and spices, pea, soy and rice protein and chicory root. Jackfruit. Let's have a look. Pea, soy and rice protein with chicory root. Would you eat that? Don't is know. it meant to taste like a meat burger, but I, it's... Yeah, meat. I don't like anything that pretends to be meat. Something it isn't. No. Yeah. Because um, well, I don't like meat. things in life. <laughs> okay, which of the following did not happen to Elon Musk in 2019? He hit a traffic bollard while driving the new Tesla Cybertruck in Malibu. He, what did not happen to him? Um, he pledged to develop a flying version of the Cybertruck by 2030. During a theatrical official launch of the Cybertruck, he looked on as the bulletproof windows were smashed by metal balls. Ooh. Oh, they're all quite the, bad. I want, it to be, I want it to be the one where he hit a bollard. I've got a feeling he did crash it. Do you, do you think he's, he would say he's going for a flying Cybertruck? I mean, he probably possible. would. I'm going to go for the traffic bollard with okay. you then. No, the one he didn't do was pledge to develop a flying version of the Cybertruck. 
He did oh. drive into a traffic bollard while oh. test driving and the bulletproof windows did get smashed oh, by yeah. metal okay, balls. I got it wrong. So shall we just have one more? Yeah. Okay. How did WeWork describe its mission? To democratise the official... Oh, sorry. To democratise the office rental landscape, to elevate the world's consciousness or to work for global peace? Oh. I'm rather thinking that it's to democratise the office rental landscape. The other two seem a little bit... Ambitious. A little bit it's ambitious. Are you going to... Shall we yeah. go with that one? No. World Apparently, peace. WeWork described its mission as to elevate the world's consciousness. Well, okay. there we go then. So there are more questions to that quiz, aren't there? There are more the questions, whole... yes. Um, so if you want to um, go and carry out the whole quiz for yourself and try it out on people that you uh, know and love that like business, then you can find that at the Guardian website and we'll put a link for that on our blog on our own website, which is thebusiness.community. In the discovery section this week, um, Tracy found or happened upon i'm not even sure how you found it a ted talk you know how we like ted talks on this show um and I found it because somebody had written an article about it saying this is the best ted talk ever and i bet you've never seen it right okay so it's a tedx talk so it's a shorter one is it about 12 yeah about 12 minutes 12 minutes 14 seconds there we go all right um and so i watched it last night on your recommendation and quite apart from the content the delivery was fantastic yeah it Absolutely was just, brilliant, wasn't it? It was, it was done as a story. It was very, very funny. Some little asides that just were hilarious. Um, it, 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 it was fantastic. It was fantastic. Do, you, do you remember when um, we, we've reviewed a book called TED Talk Storytelling? Yes. Yep. And they, they go on about saying that you don't start by introducing yourself. Tell a story that's yep. going to get people hooked. He did That's, that. He did that. He told a story about how he was seven and his sister was five. They were playing on the bunk bed. <clears throat> and he tells this so much better than me. Even though I've got the transcript right in front of me, even if I just read it out, it wouldn't be that no. good. <clears throat> and how um, she'd fallen off the bunk bed and he'd persuaded her not to go and tell his parents, even though I think she actually broke a bone. <laughs> Um, he persuaded her that because she'd landed on all fours, that no human could possibly land on all fours. And that means that she must be a unicorn. So she did. And five-year-old sister was delighted with that and happily scrambled back up onto the top of the bunk bed. <laughs> but then he made some comment like, which surprised me given that four weeks earlier I, I brought about her broken arm, broken arm or something. <laughs> so the, the gentleman is called uh, Sean Aker, is it? A-C-H-O-R. It's like Acor. without the N in it, so I yeah. don't know if it's Acor or Acor. And it's Sean with a W, so S-H-A-W-N. And Accor, A C H O R. And yeah, TEDx Bloomington it is. But right. as you know, all the TEDx are, are up to the same production values and content value as the standard TED Talk. They're just shorter. <laughs> and his his big thing is about happiness, really, isn't it? Yeah. That's he's he's written books. Happiness on the in the workplace, this talk is about. Yeah. But I think it can apply to happiness in life in, in general. And he's uh, he's got the credentials, you know, he's he's not just spouting an opinion here. He's he's done the research, mm. he knows his stuff. But it's just the thing and again harking back to that book is he's telling 
his thing, which could be incredibly boring, it's based on research that he's done, but he's telling it in such an engaging way that it is a story and there are stories nested in stories. And and I think it's absolutely um, amazing and I, I would encourage anybody to watch it, not least because the guy is like a stand-up comedian. It, yes, it was a bit like that, wasn't it? But not... Not cheesy. It was just so. It was just so clever, and I think that's. I think the beauty of when something is funny and it just kind of creeps up on you as funny. You go, oh god, that was funny. Yeah, and it, yeah. It, you're not expecting to be entertained in that way. But um, but one of the things that he talked about was the whole. If you, we we're often programmed that if only we could be successful, then we would be happy. But he talks about thinking about it the other way around. If you decide to be happy first, then 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 let success yeah. come. Because if you're if you're always striving for success, that's a movable feast. Yeah. So you're never going to get there. So I'm going to be happy when I get that qualification. But then you change the the Would goal. You, yeah. yeah. And so I'll be happy when I've got that next qualification, yeah. or when I've got that promotion, yeah. or when I achieve this level of salary. So you're never actually catching up to what you've defined. No, it reminds me of when I was a kid. And, like you know, when you, you really, really want things, something to happen. And so you, you, you'd make a little deal with God. You'd say, right, OK, um, if... If if that if you can make that happen, then I'll never do this ever again, or I'll never do that ever again. And and of course, it's you know yeah, very short lived. But <laughs> but it's not just him harping on and saying, well, I think that if if you say you're happy, then success will follow. You know, you can. There are lots of writings out there that would would espouse that. This is based on research he's done. It's called um, positive psychology, and he's talking about the fact that. If you're happy, you have dopamine in your system. And when dopamine floods into your system, it's got two functions. Not only does it make you happier, but it actually changes the way your brain works. And your brain allows you to adapt to the world in a, in a different way. It allows you to learn more. So if you're happy, there's more chance yeah. that you can learn what you need to do and go on and be successful. And then you're happier. <laughs> And that sounds like a self-fulfilling prophecy to me. But I and, and I think there's truth in that because you know on the days when everything's great, you, you think, oh, what you know, I'm on fire today. Everything's just, everything's just singing. Everything's just going really well. And you never consider that it's because you're in a positive mindset. In the same way that when you're having a bad day, it's often attributed to the fact that you're just in a, you know, a bad mood. And so the one brings the other. So I think that. You know, we, we encounter this regularly, but it's not something we consciously try to do. No. And and he's talking at the end, it's about 11 minutes in, he's talking about some of the suggestions and some of the things that they've tried in their company that does this research. And they're very simple things. So it, it's about, because you can't, it's, so, it's easy to say, just be happy, just be positive. You actually have to work at it, especially if you've been in quite a negative place. But he says there are ways you can train your brain to be more positive. And he said like two minutes for 21 days in a row. And they've actually shown that you can rewire your brain to be more optimistic and hence more successful. And simple things like getting people to write down three things they're grateful for um, for 21 days or meditation and allowing people to 
um, do random acts of kindness and conscious acts of kindness. So, and yeah, I just I was blown away by it. A little twelve minute talk that has, yeah. has become one of my favourites on TED at the moment. And I, I think we have to be careful that we're not saying that. I mean, you know, if you if you if you have a mental health issue, you know, if you if you're mentally unwell, yeah, that's a different thing. This is just about being able to be positive you know you need to seek intervention and, and support but it's this putting is... it in a different order isn't it it's not waiting to be successful to be happy yeah it's choosing happiness first. the happiness route for you because how you achieve happiness when you're you're not actually happy at the moment will vary from person to person mm -hmm. but then once you've got happiness you're in a better position to be successful and, and again it's not saying just be happy and everything will will succeed there's a number of other factors that come into play as well you can't just sit there saying i'm happy <laughs> bring the success to me are there and on that ted talk and we will put a link to it on our on our um website the business.community there are links to uh other articles books uh, podcasts all sorts interviews all sorts of things that he has given so um we'll make sure that they're all there for you to click on you're listening to The Business Community on Calon FM, the last show before Christmas, but not the last show me and Heather are doing before Christmas. Heather's got a music show with her husband. Good luck to you, Heather. Yeah, we, yes, that's 10 till 12 on Monday. And I've got the Christmas Eve Brass Show, which is on at five o'clock. Uh, two hours of Christmassy brass band sort of music. Is that on Monday or Tuesday? That's on Tuesday, Christmas Eve. Ah. Yeah, that, that would be Ooh. why it's called the Christmas Eve brass show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and then the business... Business community um, is back on air on the 2nd of January, but we're not live in the studio. We're going to give you a little treat. Um, on our website, we've got a collection of 10-minute, hmm, what do you call them? Shorts. We call them chat splats on the website. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, Just us talking nonsense for 10 minutes yeah, instead it, of an hour. It's 10 minutes. We've challenged ourselves to only talk for 10 minutes, which... Um, you, you realise it's, it's quite difficult for us. We have to actually put a timer on to stop us. Um, and we don't know the subject until it spurts out of our mouth. <laughs> we start the um, recording and then just talk for 10 minutes based on whatever subject first comes into our mind. OK, it, it sounds a little bit rubbish. I actually enjoy doing them, so, and I'm hoping a few people enjoy listening to them as well. Yeah, it's not planned. It's not. It's just us. It's just me and Heather, us. Yeah, yeah, being us. So For good or for bad. <laughs> so part of the show will be our chat splats for you, and then the other part of the show will be some of the highlights from the show um, in the year that we, um, we, we thought we'd uh, pick out for you. Then we're back live in the studio on the 9th. Yes, and that means then we'll have been doing the show for a whole two years, Heather. That's amazing, isn't it? That is incredible. <laughs> that is if fun. you've been with us for the whole journey, then please... Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> please accept our apologies, yes. <laughs> no, we, we'd like to say a very sincere thank yep. you. Yeah. Okay, so our profile this afternoon is of a, a gentleman who um, is synonymous with Christmas, um, but largely... Um, because of his business, and he made, uh, uh, like a lot of the things we were talking about initially, he made himself synonymous with Christmas. Mm. It's um, Bernard Matthews. Now, turkeys weren't a thing at Christmas when he first started his business. He inserted turkeys into Christmas. 
In the nicest possible way. In the nicest possible, possible way. And you can find the, the full story of um, the Bernard Matthews journey on the website. And it's actually called Bootiful Story. And if you're old enough to remember Bernard Matthews at his height, then um, that was his, part of his advocate, advertising campaign. Bernard Matthews would be there on his farm uh, maybe carving up one of the turkeys that we've just seen in the field and he'd go bootyful. And he sort of had sort but not of red with that, my northern accent. Sort of, he looked like a farmer, didn't he? He had red yeah. cheeks and a sort of big big hands and yeah, was a yeah. A, yeah. A burly guy. Although he wasn't a farmer originally. He was the son of a car mechanic and housekeeper. Yeah, the, I mean, he certainly built up his business from next to nothing, really. Um, according to the story, he started off with 20 turkey eggs, um, which he bought and then resold. And and we often hear this with the um, the entrepreneurs that we profile, is they start off buying and selling something. They buy it for cheaper than they sell it for. And then they buy something else and then sell that. And so it builds and builds. And and this is what happened with his turkey farm. I think along the way he diversified. But what I can gather at the moment is that the business has then gone back to its its core, which is farming turkeys. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole buying 20 turkey eggs, it didn't actually work out terribly well for him because um, he bought them for pound ten shillings and then um, hadn't calculated the fact that he was going to have to feed them. <laughs> so the cost of the feed rather negated uh, any profit that he might have made. But apparently, after he's doing his national service, he started in insurance, and then in 1950, he went back into the turkey uh, market, so to speak, um, and bought Great Witchingham Hall, which is was was his home until he he died and business headquarters and business headquarters to the point where he and his wife lived in two of the rooms and the turkeys were hatched in the dining room reared in the jacobean bedrooms and slaughtered in the kitchen so <laughs> so it was a turkey factory completely as well. bonkers completely bonkers yes yep. he did um, he did go and buy some airfields to house the turkeys in the 60s so uh, I, I i believe that the uh, great witchingham hall actually did become a proper home rather than a turkey yes farm. i think they spent <laughs> Well, some of their 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 wealth on it, and I think the organisation now employs about two thousand people. Which you imagine in in Norfolk, you know, rural Norfolk, that's going to be a massive employer for the county. He was um, an interesting character. Um, he's he's done a lot of work in his um, in his area where he lived. So you say employed a lot of people in that area, um, but also involved in projects to do with uh, Norwich Cathedral, Norwich Hospital, University of East Anglia, Norwich Castle Museum, libraries and, and other things around there. So he's, he was deeply embedded in, in the area in which he was um, running his business, which is to be praised. Um, doing my research, um, I, I didn't come across anything that I thought was too controversial until he died mm, yes it's an interesting story because he it, there are a couple of things so his married life he married a lady in 1952 and they adopted three children but then um, but, but it, and he, he and his wife lived separately and he had a, another child with another woman although he still remained married yeah um so he had one biological child and three adopted children. And the point at which he passed away, he left everything to his biological child. Now, my initial reaction is that that seems 
unkind, unfair. I don't know the full story behind it, so I, I can't judge. But, yeah, on, on first reading, and, and you sort of read in the obituaries and the talk about this, his whole £300 million estate was left to his fourth child, which was the only biological child mm. that he had. Mm. Made, made my eyebrows rise a little bit, made me wonder what the backstory was there, hoping there wasn't anything that was just meanness towards adopted children. I, I really don't know. Um, but, yes, he, he died... Um, having left his uh, business to his children. Now, I don't know how Bernard Matthews is doing so much at the moment because their website is very nice, but it's really out of date. It is. I was looking at their um, sort of blog, and um, I think there's nothing... There's stuff from 2016. Yeah, and the, the latest press release and news, so there's an, an, a section for media. The The most recent one on there is 2015. Hmm. So it... it it suggests that either just the website has been neglected or is the business being neglected? Yeah, they did. I, I, as is our want, I, I was looking for any negativity and um, I, kept, I had a look on Companies House and as, as a large employer, um, you're bound to get um, uh, tribunal claims, etc. So there are quite a few of those. Yeah. And then they, they also had um, a data breach um, they were targeted, and I think 200 employees' personal details were um, were hacked into. So I think that was a bit of controversy. I think that was in yeah. 2016. So um, before the big fines. The, yes. Yeah, looking yeah. for them. Yeah. But they are, on their website, they are declaring their gender um, pay gap. Yeah, figures. I noticed that, yeah. Um, and they're, they're certainly below. Now, what I found really interesting, actually, is that I thought that they would employ more women the men but the proportion of their employees is very much weighted towards men right. than women and, and I thought that for sort of semi-skilled potentially for some of the work that they would be doing um it might be it might be a more female dominated um business but it but it's not there's more men there's more men but the bonuses are the same there is no differentiation bonuses between men and women are paid exactly the same now whether that's because they don't pay any bonus i don't know but they're declaring zero difference so they're not getting bonus at the same level as uh, michael o'leary then <laughs> no or indeed denise coates yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah indeed yeah, it's a whole nother world isn't it so that's bernard matthews a beautiful 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 I, I can't do it with my accent i'm sorry we used to have these things when we um my folks didn't have much money so we used to have these sort of round turkey joints so it would be it would be turkey meat that's been sort of forced together, surrounded by fat, and you'd roast it. Um, and that we used to have that on a Sunday, you know, not every mm. Sunday, but um, I can't remember what they used to call it. It, it, it was like a turkey roast or something. Or, but um, yeah, big yeah. business. So as we said right at the beginning of this section, turkey wasn't a meat for Christmas in. Um, Oh, sorry, it was only a Christmas meat. It wasn't a mainstream meat. And uh, it, it became more mainstream and less expensive, courtesy of the likes of Bernard Matthews. Whether you like it or not, that is what happened. So we're at the end of the show and uh, at the end of the year for the official business community shows. Heather, you looking forward to 2020? It's going to be interesting, isn't it? I, I, I think that, you know, whatever... We've avoided the B word um, all of this time. Um, I imagine that, you know, it's going to be on the radar next year massively. Um, 
we just have to wait and see what the future holds. But we're moving forward, whether we like it or not. Um, we will be moving forward through this now. We will. Thank you so much for listening all this year and all the last year. We hope you decide to join us next year as well, because we're still going to be here. We're still going to be here. Yeah. Have a very Merry Christmas. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. Join us next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.